Hello, and welcome back to part two of our broadcast revisited episode three of season two, where we're talking about the Russell T. Davies uh, and Stephen Freer's miniseries, A Very English Scandal. A very, 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 very English scandal. Very, very, very. Very, 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 very. That was so, like, what I, okay. I know we, I know we're done talking about episode one. No, whatever. It's only three parts. We're, we're zipping and zapping around time here. That first episode is so solid. It's so, that first scene dragged me into the world in such a quick way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it literally, it just told me so many things. Like, here are the people we're dealing with. They're, like, fussy, uptight, but very clever and witty, gay, British, white men. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just, like, with, within a few lines, like, I knew exactly who we were dealing with. And that yeah. is the kind of, that's the kind of economy of, like, of uh, exposition that I adore. Yeah, and I think that's something that Russell T. Davies is really good at. Totally. Yeah. I loved like the the floating timestamp like font titles. Yeah. Those titles are so cool. Um, I already talked about the steak tartar. <laughs> like, the steak tartar like, does so much work in that scene, though. <laughs> like an unbelievable amount of work. Yeah, an unbelievable amount of storytelling is just that egg on that disc of raw beef. Right. Raw season. It's beef. like kind of disgusting and it's kind of like, why the fuck would anyone want to eat that? Ha- oh. Have you had it before? No, oh, I've never had it. Again? Oh my gosh. It is, it is actually delicious. Interesting. You know where I had it was um, uh, char. Oh, okay. Strath. That yeah. was... Yeah, that was quite a night. I had like a very expensive bottle of wine and a steak as big as my head and and oysters and steak tartare. And yeah, it was quite good. Yeah. It's a wild night. Mm. Mm-hmm. The idea of eating raw beef is like really horrifying to me. So I don't know that I'll ever try it, but. You know. I feel like that would be a place to eat it, though. Like a proper right. steak place. It was all kind of like part of a moment. So oh, yeah. I was like, this probably isn't going to happen again. So I might as well just like say yes to everything. Yeah. 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 But anyway. But yeah. Steak tartare. <laughs> steak tartare. Um, so this episode two, I'm sorry, this horse scene <laughs> but where he's like riding he's, through town he's on horseback and and jeremy is in his car yeah and they lock eyes and have but i i had to say to myself like oh i would totally have been i would have totally been norman in that moment of just being like hi <laughs> <laughs> right he just like waves to him and he's like thank you my ex-boyfriend who wants me dead and I just wave at him and then like super smiley (laughs) like like that would that would have 100% been me yeah just like everything's cool I like good to see you such a a Libra kind of way (laughs) but we've got you know anyway another phenomenal you know the next phenomenal ending of one of these episodes of very very English scandal um is the you know the gunshot and yeah the, yeah, the... But yeah I so... another great ending and didn't take any notes on what that meant <laughs> and was like I mean, that oh, is a great episode ending what happened <laughs> the gun he goes to shoot he shoots the dog and then goes to shoot and he's uh, like, oh, it was Jeremy Thorpe. And is that it's how Jeremy it- Thorpe. Yeah. Okay. So part three is where we get into 
the investigation and the trial of this very silly, like, not silly, but, like, fumbled murder plot that these, like, uptight gay British men are clearly not capable of (laughs) (laughs) executing. Um, Because they're just, like, hiring, like, the most bumbling guns for hire. Oh, yeah. uh, Who, you know, will, will talk to the press at a you know, put any dollar amount in front of them and they'll take it and and sell their stories. So the big kind of expose that happens is their letters, or at least one of their letters gets published and uh, contains the very damning phrase, bunnies can and will go to France. Uh, which is something he says earlier on that there's a job in France, like a a dressage uh, job. Because that is really like Norman's only sort of, you know, skill, skill or passion is horses. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. But so that, but that letter getting published leads to probably my favorite scene in the whole thing, which is the dinner table scene between Jeremy Thorpe and his wife. It's the, it's the best scene in the whole. It's so good. Other than the first scene of the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so brilliant. Yeah. And yeah, no, I love it. So Jeremy is sitting at dinner with his wife, Marion and uh, it's tense. It's whatever she's, she's obviously upset about these letters, but I think what she's more upset by is that Jeremy keeps like trying to kind of shield her from this and, and keep this secret away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that her response is like, I grew up with Benjamin Britten. Like I'm like, what is it? Like, she's like my son or daughter, like married a hippie. Like, right. I'm not some fucking innocent, you know, right. like I know how the world works. I know what a homosexual is. You know, yes. she, she so resents being kind of treated with kid gloves about all of this. Right which I think is, uh, you know, and it's not that she's like not upset that her husband has been like living this lie, but she's like, don't treat me like I'm stupid. Right. You know, and don't treat me like I'm someone who will like, give me some credit to, to be supportive to you. Right. Like, because she's privileged doesn't mean that she's as insulated as he's making her feel. Right. Or as bigoted. As, he's, right, right. as he is afraid she's going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like- Well, he's doing his thing that he always does, which is like, he's downplaying everything. He's right. he's acting right. the politician to her and she's like, don't, don't do that. Right. Like you fucked this man. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, you know, she brings up the fact that he wrote in the letter, I miss you. And she, yes. you know, she can tell as we all can tell as the audience watching this whole thing, because they've, they've shown it to us time and time again, um, is that that, that kind of care Mm -hmm. is out of character for him. Right. And it's kind of lovely to see. Yeah. That's a gorgeous moment. Yeah. When she's just like, you know, everyone's focusing on that, on the bunnies line. Right. But you also said, but your last line is what I think about the most where you told him, I miss you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lovely thing for a man to say to his friend. Mm-hmm. And it is like absolutely the most understood. I think Jeremy has felt probably in the entire, certainly in the entire timeline of this series, maybe his life. <laughs> well, and you see him, he gets, he is struck by that. He's struck yes. by her, her calling that out. Yeah. And the only thing he can say 
when he gets you know visibly emotional about about her reaction and his own reaction yeah um is just to say this is a very nice dinner yeah <laughs> and you know what i mean he's so he's so sort of trapped in this box that he's created for himself yeah um based on who he is and where he wants to go yeah that that's lit- that's really all that's that's the only wiggle room he really gets and then we get into so then we get into the trial. So, which and these trial scenes are like airtight. They are like, yeah, it's it's so nice to see. It doesn't like linger on anything too long. They're mm-hmm. not like you know. It is very British. It's it's clipped and it's to the point, <laughs> and yeah. and it's also like a lot of it is like really. F- funny and it has this like you know you ride this wave of kind of like at times it's funny at at times it's serious Mm -hmm. it's really great yeah i will say the fact that the british court continues to wear these wigs (sighs) i think that is the reason that law and order uk did not work who can take that seriously it's too silly it's too silly at least like you know, no American audience is ever going to look at a British courtroom scene and see those wigs and, like, think we're in the world of, like, Jack McCoy and Olivia Benson. Like, no, no, no. That's ridiculous. I don't know why they insist on continuing that tradition, but, you know, I'm a, an uneducated American in, that, in those things, so. Right, yeah. I'm sure there's a valid reason. Yeah, I don't get the whole barrister's wig thing. I, you know, I kind of don't, I don't really get why our judges still wear those like choir robes. They're just like, what, like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, I don't know. Well, Lance Ito needs something to wear over his track suits. So. Boom. (laughs) Oh, Lance Ito. But uh, also this brings in one of my favorite ringer character actors in British drama, Adrian Scarborough. Yes. As the I lawyer. mean, as the lawyer, as Hugh Grant's lawyer. Yeah. I was like, I, when they were starting to introduce the lawyer and like say all this stuff leading up, it was like, oh, this is going to be somebody. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, there were even in earlier episodes, I'm like, Adrian Scarborough like has to show up at some point. Completely. And then when he did, I was like, oh, perfect. Like, of course, of course, this is who Adrian Scarborough is playing. His lawyer who is currently incarcerated being let out of jail to represent Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's in the drunk tank. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, later on, after the whole trial goes on, we find out that he himself is gay Mm, Um, and that is kind of part of why he's very adamant about about this defense um so we go through this trial that other great scene (coughs) yes yeah that i know you are uh you are leading up to yeah yeah but there's a lot that happens in this trial that is is really fascinating to me that, well, first of all, you know, we have this moment, we have Peter Bessel's testimony where we learn very tragically that he has, he is like completely ready to sell out Jeremy Thorpe um, because he lives in America now, has a fatal disease, which his national health insurance will not cover. So he's like, I'm gonna sell my story and I get double the money if he is convicted and I can use that money to pay my medical bills, which is like, I love that this extremely British show like just manages to squeeze in an indictment of the United States healthcare system. Yeah, completely. Thank you for that. And, and rightly so. <laughs> right. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty brutal moment because Peter Bessel obviously being Jeremy Thorpe's like main ally like really kind of through thick and thin 
uh, betrays him at the end. Yeah. It is really, um, it's sad to see that, but it's like also pretty inevitable just the way that, the way that all those things go. And because he, you know, the healthcare stuff, but also he needs, he needs immunity. So he doesn't get implicated in trying to, you know, assassinate Norman. Yeah. Well, and then there's also the part in this where um, Adrian Scarborough is like, are you a drug addict? Right. And he's talking about like this type of painkiller, I guess, that he's on to kind of manage his discomfort or something like that. Or like, he's like, yeah, I've been, I, I take this medication and I like, I, I built up a dependency on it for sure. And he calls them disco biscuits. Like, have you, right. you know, that that's what they're referred to. And it's like what the gay men take at the clubs. And, you know, it mm. felt very, uh, it felt like a very Colombian necktie moment. Totally. Um, but I think the, the, the most like devastating part in this trial is uh, Norman's testimony, uh, right. which people just, and because I think one of the things is like, there are parts of Norman's testimony or when he is being cross-examined or whatever, where like he is like putting on the show and he is like trying to win a spotlight and like make the people laugh and get them on his side. Uh, yeah, he's just, he is that naturally like charming, playful, right? you know, kind of sweet, but kind of dumb, cle- that, you know, yeah, that kind of cleverness. Um, and it's so sad when then, it's like, he's not even, tr- he's not, the part where he is asked to in detail describe the sex he had with Jeremy Thorpe for the first time, that's not a part where he's trying to be clever and make people laugh. And yet the courtroom right. laughs through that entire testimony. Right. That's very sad. Yeah. And it's like he, and you can see it kind of breaking him down where he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you the facts of what happened. Mm-hmm. And he had Vaseline to lubricate himself. And like, even, even just these, like in his mind, the, you know, uneditorialized description clinical description of what happened um, that sends them into, into laughter because, you know, homophobia. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and it's so, you know, it's so uncomfortable that you have to laugh. Sex, you know, especially for like wound tight British folks of that time, sex is hard enough to talk about. Gay sex is just laughable. Right. Right. And, you know, and of course, and he says like, well, and what did you do when he, whatever, like penetrated you or whatever? And he's like, yeah. well, what else could I do? I bit the pillow. Right. Which is like the punchline. Right. And, uh, and it's clearly not intended that way. You know, there's, you can tell the difference between when he is putting it on. Oh, totally. And that when he is like, you know, just like clearly feeling pretty, pretty demoralized and, uh, and it's especially tragic that it's like he gave that testimony and and was treated that way, and then uh, does not uh, he he loses, right? Yeah, because Jeremy Thorpe is still an MP. He's still, I mean, he's lost his election at that point, but like he still has power, and it's a very kind of like Roy Cohn thing you know where it's just like jeremy thorpe is not a homosexual in the eyes of the law he's a heterosexual man who fools around with guys exactly and that is how the law will be applied to him well and you get this whole and it's so funny that they they actually give you a little bit of insight into this afterward that 
the judge's like speech to the jury. Oh my God, I know. Like it's so one-sided and it's telling them exactly how to vote. Right. As right. it, 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 and, and, you know, luckily and, and rightly so it gets parodied after that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, I don't know what British like sketch comedy thing that was, but yeah. where it's basically like, I, I'll give you this time to go away and talk about your guilt, your not guilty verdict. Right. Um, like, right. Oh well, God. because like, because the thing is that the spectacle, and this is sort of what Adrian Scarborough, this is what his great strategy is of like, I am not calling any witnesses. I am not putting you on the stand because the thing that is going to win you this trial is that he's the one that talked about anal sex in a courtroom. And that immediately makes him uh, this deviant pervert. Yeah. And if you are put on the stand to validate anything he said, you're going to lose. Well, and it's like what the wife says before. She's like, I'm not going to dignify it by talking about it. And it's that's yep. exactly what y- y- would have happened. So keeping quiet is yep. the smartest thing you could do at that point. Yep. Let him be the only person who talks about biting pillows. Right. And Petroleum Jelly Witch. That shot in, in the first episode. <laughs> Talk about as, as subtle as a chainsaw. Like you just walk <laughs> into somebody's room and set down a gallon bucket of lube. And just right. say, how are you? <laughs> Here we go. Oh my God. Which is Get on all fours. That's a good chat. Part of it's like, wow, what a baller move. And then part of it's just like, oh my God, could you have exercised any kind of subtlety? Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Um, well, so he, he gets the not guilty verdict. Yeah. And then we have, again, this like beautiful scene between him and his lawyer, Jeremy Thorpe and his lawyer, where uh, Adrian Scarborough like reveals that like he's gay. Yeah. Or has at the very least, like he's he's at least queer um, and has had sex with men. And then, you know, is, is basically saying to him like, you, you know, I know who this, guy is i know the kind of night you have with that guy uh this was something else and and i'm trying to understand what he really meant to you um and then it's this like really intense montage of him just being like well if you've of hugh grant saying if you've had those nights you know how they usually end. And it's this montage of Hugh Grant cruising basically and picking up younger men and going home with them. And then it's, or, you know, slinking off into an alley um, where they then beat the shit out of him. Right. And uh, he says, you know, so one might say, Norman Scott was the best of them. Mm. It's really lovely. And it's that it's the kind of like coded subtlety that I think makes pieces like this uh, really effective. And Hugh Grant has this, um, this wonderful, I'm trying to find it in the actual thing. Um, he does this, in intake of breath and it's it literally makes the entire scene it's stunning yep. and i'm trying to find out which line you know at which line is i mean it hit me strongly enough to make a note about it and now yeah. i'm now i'm guessing myself but it's when he says it's when uh the lawyer says you loved him and he does this sort of like catch breath yeah it's super interesting. 
And I was just like, ooh, that is like, that is like one of those details. And you can tell the whole time he's like working really hard to like steady his face. Yeah. And you know that this is who's practiced this over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, it's I, like the same kind of thing as the scene with the wife where it's like, this yeah. is a man who he can't reveal an emotion like ever. Right. So Hugh Grant uh, makes these great choices in, in select moments where he lets that slip a little bit and has, and, and does like give us some feeling in his face and, uh, or, or in his breath, you know, like he uses those kinds of physical, small physical gestures to, to let the guard slip just a little bit. Right. Or you, um, he lets you see the work. He lets you, he lets you in on the fact that he's putting work into this. Right, right. Into keeping up this facade. Even if he doesn't let it fall all the way. No, and that's the thing that's interesting about this scene is that he's yeah. with somebody who is inviting him to do that. We're and right. it's like, no, you, we can be honest about this. Like, I'm confiding in you. You're, you're like, you don't have to put this on right now. You know, when he says like, Norman Scott and I never had a relationship. He's like, come on, Jeremy. Right. Like, I just told you that I'm gay. Like you can be, you don't have to have to do this right now, but it's like, he can't ever, he can't ever let it down completely. Right. No. Whew. Some wild times. Some wild times. And then we get into like the, where are they now? <laughs> Which are weirdly sappy until you get to Norman's and it's, and it's completely brilliant. Yeah. It's again, it's these weird like tone shifts. Yeah. But for this, you know, and I said it before, I, I do not mind it. No. No, it works. Yeah. Yeah, so Norman Scott is still alive. What is he, he has 11 dogs? I know. Yeah. What a sweetie. Yeah. And then most of them died. When did Jeremy Thorpe die? Because he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in the 80s. He died after Marion, and it was in like 2014, I want to say. Oh, wow. Oh, that's later than I thought. Mm. Yeah, 2014. He died like six months after her. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Bessel died in the eighties. From. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the disease he he has that the lawyer brings up. That is part of why he's going to sell him out. Wasn't it, it? It can't be emphysema. That doesn't make sense. Well, it might have been. It might have been. I don't know. I think it might have actually I think it was emphysema because I think it was one of those things where I was like oh I didn't know people died of that but maybe in the 80s they still did yeah I if, mean whatever that seems like I, a, guess I don't it, know anything if about it destroyed like enough of your lung tissue apparent I mean I guess you if you discover it too late yeah you know it's it's lung disease it's right, it's right, not right. lung cancer but it's lung disease right as I cough. <laughs> Psychosomatic coughing. Yeah. 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 This one I I I would definitely recommend this miniseries to anybody. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. If you're like me and your uh your favorite genre is like uptight gay white period drama. <laughs> like, you know, Morris or Brideshead Revisited or Yeah. I mean just to name a few. Yeah. Oh, another country. Like, get at me. Call mm. me. Mm -hmm. Anything, anything um, Merchant Ivory. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at my little history notes here. Yes. So just to round this out. Talk to me. And bring us up to the present. So in 1967 which is, this is the big vote that they're trying to get in part one. The government, um, oh, I may have already said this. They finally implemented 
the Wolfenden Report's recommendation mm -hmm. in something called the Sexual Offenses Act, which partially legalized uh, gay sex uh, in the UK if you're over the age of 21 and conducted in private. So you can still be arrested for having public gay sex, which I think is still true. I feel like public sex is like generally yeah. illegal, like regardless of orientation. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm pretty sure that's like a no-no for everybody. Across the board. Across the board, you can't have sex in public. Yeah, can't can't pee out in public, can't have sex out in public. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then very unsurprisingly in the 80s, uh, Margaret Thatcher gutted most anti- uh, most LGBT anti-discrimination laws, you know, what few existed at the time with right. um, the Local Government Act of 1988, which banned any uh, local and specifically educational material or projects or anything like that that promoted homosexuality, that the government would not fund or provide funding to any institution at a local level uh, that, that, yeah, promoted homosexuality or pretended family relationships. So it uh, obviously kept young people in the UK without any kind of education about their sexuality. Um, and, and again, you know, not that it, not that it had been destigmatized at this point, but was a an extreme conservative crackdown on on any you know promotion of homosexuality. And then in uh, and David Cameron eventually like apologized for that and reversed it. And then in in two thousand four, the Civil Partnership Act legalized civil unions and domestic partnerships. And then in 2013, the Marriage Act formally legalized gay marriage in England and Wales, and then Scotland followed in, in 2014. Mm. Yeah. And in 2010, uh, there was the Equality Act that gave LGBT employees protections from discrimination, harassment, and, and victimization at work. But one thing that is interesting about this and feels important to say is at least in the UK, uh, there has never, the, the anti-LGBT laws have never included women. Like, they, like lesbianism has never been criminalized um, because all of these laws are, based, are rooted in sodomy law, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so like age of consent laws, any of this deal like basically all sexual law uh, only re relates to sex that involves penetration by a penis. And uh, there's this sort of like British lore that um, when these anti-sodomy laws were, or, you know, anti-gay laws were put to Queen Victoria to approve, she uh, declined making lesbianism illegal because uh, she said she just she didn't believe women physically could have sex. Um, mm. So she's like, why do we even need to do that? There's no women are not capable of having sex with each other <laughs> because no one has a penis. Um, so that's that's like that gets to what is still, you know, because and that's kind of like the important thing to like caveat this with. It's not as if everyone's like, no, we love lesbians like. We're so open-minded about that. It's the it's it's the flip side homophobia toward women that still persists to this day, where it's like you don't even qualify what two women do together as sex, right? Um, which is its own problem. But um, but no, there has never been in nineteen. But the the one the one law thing about this that I actually found pretty funny was a. Uh, in 1921, uh, it was discussed, like criminalizing lesbian sex was discussed in parliament 
for the first time, uh, whether it should be included in the uh, criminal law amendment bill of 1921. And uh, it was rejected because parliament was afraid that making a law about it would draw attention to it and encourage women to explore homosexuality. Well, and there were already so many, you know, institutionalized ways of, of um, persecuting women oh, for, right. for no reason. Exactly. <laughs> that they really, they didn't see a need to make, you know, to, to make yeah. that a thing. Cause any, you know, a, a wife is having an affair with a woman but she is married to a man, the man can just say she's crazy and have her. Right, exactly. It's like, we, we're not going to lock her up for having sex with a woman. We're going to put her in a mental institution. We're going to tell her, she, yeah, we're going to say she's insane. And, right, yeah. right. And that's something you see in um, in the story of Ann Lister and Ann Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, there's a great scene in Gentleman Jack where Ann Lister explains to Ann Walker, who is so crippled with religious anxiety about what they're doing, even though she, you know, deeply loves Ann Lister. Mm-hmm. Um, someone has recently put the fear of God in her because two men were executed uh, for, for a buggery, you know, this is in eight, the 1830s. And Ann Lister explains to her in this scene, like, it's not criminal between two women. Like it's, it's only illegal for men. <laughs> um, so like legally speaking we're fine but uh but it's right you're exactly right it's not as if they were exempt from persecution you know when ann lister died you know so ann lister and ann walker are considered like the first gay marriage in the uk or at least lesbian marriage in the uk and um you know both of their families understood what their relationship was and ann walker was completely um pretty much abandoned by her family once they they got married and when Ann Lister died very tragically Ann Walker had a complete uh nervous breakdown and uh was put in a mental institution for for the majority of the rest of her life and they they let her out to be with her to go live in exile with some relatives who would just sort of be her caretaker until she died um so it's it, you know to say that there was no formal law against lesbianism is not to say that gay women were not um, were not, did not feel the danger around them, and you know it's like oh totally. It took very very little for a woman to be institutionalized and you know traumatized. But it's here we are now. It's just so funny to me that <laughs> as long as people have been around, gay people have been around. Yeah, and trans people. Using, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, also in here, just, I have. I was just going to say, I'm using gay as the umbrella term. Um, yeah. But, like, it's just so funny. Like, <laughs> the, just the denial of, like, no, this just sprang up sometime during the late sixties. Like, right. no, was. <laughs> right. Oh my God. It's so yeah, exhausting. No. Well, this is the thing, like in the UK you have in the forties and fifties, you have the first writings or, you know, like um, transgender people kind of coming out of the woodwork in, in, in a public way, kind of for the first time in any major sense where you have, um, Michael Dillon, who uh, I believe was the, at least the first person in the UK to um, receive uh, gender correction surgery for to become a man. Um, and uh, who is it? Roberta, Roberta Cowell, who was a, a former World War II Spitfire pilot uh, in 1951. Yeah. Uh, was the first trans woman to receive um, gender gender correction surgery. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I'm sorry if those aren't the right terms. I know gender reassignment surgery is, is like what's commonly used, but I, I feel like I've heard, you know, gender or gender um, affirmation 
surgery. I maybe maybe the term that I mean. Sure. But that's in the forties and fifties, you know. So it's like. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. We've always been around. All, always. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we've, that's the other part all, that's so laughable about this 1920s, um, you know, uh, rejection of, of criminalizing lesbianism is that part of the, part of the reason was like, it was out of fear of like, oh, if we draw attention to it, more women will, will become homosexual. But part of that came from, they, uh, they believed so few women, they thought it was like such a small portion of the population that they were like, this isn't even <laughs> worth it. We won't even waste the ink. Like, we won't waste the ink. Like <laughs> women, they're not capable of having sex with each other. I think it was just that Ann right. Lister woman and that was it. Right. <laughs> Somehow she figured it out. She figured it out and, and she slipped through the cracks, but I think that's, I think she's the only lesbian that's ever existed. Oh my God. God. Selfishly, I almost wish that there is, I, I almost hope that there's not a second season so we can talk about Gentleman Jack. About Gentleman Jack? But, I know. I mean, maybe we'll I'm, just do it anyway. I feel like we talk about it I'm in so more episodes than not. <laughs> <laughs> But that'll be one. If we do Gentleman Jack, we'll go, we'll have to bring Jill on for that. Jill, if you're listening. And I couldn't be happier. Get Ooh. ready. But yeah, no, season two of Gentleman Jack is in production right now. And yes. I kind of hope they don't do more than two seasons because I really don't want to see them get into the part where Ann Walker is like institutionalized for being gay. Like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Like that just seems punishingly depressing. Bury your gaze. Jesus. <laughs> um but yeah, so that's a that's a brief history of LGBT law in the United Kingdom. Mm. And this series is about a very interesting time in the in that history where it was sort of at a at a threshold at a precipice of of decriminalizing uh male homosexuality to an extent that it really hadn't been at least since the 1800s you know it's always been by degrees that's true in the u.s too like there's never really been the most sweeping legislation has been um the marriage equality act but mm -hmm. it's always been incremental victories as history as history goes exciting <laughs> exciting gay, stuff it is also very exciting yeah do you say being gay is also very exciting <laughs> no gay is just gay. oh yeah just, just gay all, just all of it yeah any kind of yeah, any yeah. kind of all of that it's all good i don't <laughs> know about you i love that i am a gay person i i truly can't imagine not be, you know what i mean because it was so it it's it's always been so i don't know i don't know how to like describe it you know what i mean yeah well basically how i describe it is like once i found the word for it i was like oh 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 that's what i am oh yeah that's finally i have like the term for it yeah but like before that it was just like yeah yeah i'd rather i'd rather marry a prince than a princess you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> That was the sort of, yeah. I don't know. And I think you and I, I mean, we've talked about this so much throughout our friendship. And as you talked about in uh, part one, I think that like you and I both had the enormous privilege of of growing up in environments and, and coming out in environments where we didn't feel, we didn't feel the need to stay closeted. Right. You know, I spent very, very like, you know, I came out when I was um, 20, I think, mm. or maybe 21, 2012. Yeah, 21. Um, yeah. But it had, you know, for me, for my journey, I didn't, it, I was so buried in that. I didn't even acknowledge that I was in the closet until college. Um, 
and, sure. and refused to say the word for a long time. And then, but once I did, I was out to the close people in my life within a month, you know? So yeah. there was a very brief window of time between coming out to myself and coming out to, to my close circle. Um, and that's, I don't take that for granted. And watching things right. like this reminds me, I mean, obviously this is the sixties, but it's not like, it's not like this has disappeared. You know, it's not like the, the closet door is completely open for, for everyone universally, universally. Certainly we've come a long way since 1965, but, uh, but no, you and I, absolutely, you and I have led a pretty charmed life as far as. Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think being able to live is- freely. Yeah, I, I consider myself very, very lucky. Uh, you know, even, you know, even with my, my dad who failed at being a dad, but was actually very much there for me when I came out, <laughs> like mm-hmm. in a very surprised kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it goes back to the fact that he gave his, his own gay brother such a hard time, mm-hmm. you know, during the uh, 70s and 80s. Yeah for being gay and yeah. then and then you know you turn around and your own son is gay he had a I think he had a very like you know I wouldn't know this because we never speak but um I I think he had a very cathartic experience when I came out and I think yeah. my coming out helped him grow a little bit as a person mm-hmm. which is sort of weird no um, but that makes but, sense you know I think I think a child coming out is an, is an opportunity for a lot of parents to grow. That's the hope at least. Right. Yeah. And to look at their own, you know, your own behaviors of like, wow, what do I really think of about this now that it's now that my family is, you know, yeah. I don't know. I do. I am sort of like, Oh, wow. I, I had it super easy. Compared, you know what I mean? Like right. I was 13 years old. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the way it sort of happened was like being 13 and I'm at musical theater camp over the summer and I'm like, I think I might be bi. And like all my girls. Oh my God. Yep. Rallied around me and we're like, oh my God. Oh, we love you. Da, 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 da. And then yeah. of course I'm like, okay, by fall, I was like, nope, I'm just straight up gay. And then it was like, nope, you're back at school. Yeah. Uh, who was like who was like your root like who was the if there is one of like the person that made you be like okay I definitely feel this enough to be making my way out of the closet I mean I had a Jonathan Taylor Thomas poster in the bedroom for like the longest time like when I was a child child yeah um that was very strong (laughs) um oh shit the uh the older brother from Dunstan checks in that was <laughs> he did it for you yeah who oh there were like a bunch of them who's the guy who's in um it was like a summer camp movie camp um, no i don't know the kid from camp nowhere yeah that was a biggie there were a lot there were a lot like I, prince eric just like the mm-hmm. cartoon yeah, there were there were several many. Yeah, no, my first one in eighth grade was uh, was Emma Watson in The Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. So that's a very yeah. English scandal. That's a very English scandal. Anybody out there, do you know? Do some research. Look at LGBTQ plus history throughout the ages. You know. Yeah. Gay, gay ain't new. That's for sure. Prime video. It's three episodes, each an hour long. Great performances. Oh, and then like as a little footnote to all this award stuff. Um, it was nominated for three Golden Globes. Best Supporting Actor for Ben Wyshaw, which he won. Best Actor for Hugh Grant and Best Limited Series. And then for the Emmys, four nominations. Best Supporting Actor for Ben Wyshaw, which again, he won. Uh, Best Actor for Hugh Grant, directing for Stephen Frears and writing for Russell T. Davies. 
So there you have it. Jonathan, God, Jeremy Thorpe. I Jeremy keep Thorpe. Wanting, keep wanting to call him Jonathan. Jeremy Thorpe. And uh, looking forward to the next Russell T. Davies miniseries about LGBT history. It's a sin, which is it's on its way sin. later this year. What is that going to be on? I think it's coming out later this month. Because I tried looking. Oh, eight, the 18th. So by the time this airs, it will be available. So go watch It's a Sin on HBO. Oh, it's an HBO joint. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. HBO, HBO Max is going to distribute it in the US. So by the time we're listening to this, it will be available. At least I think the first few episodes. I don't know if they're releasing all of it at once. Um, so yeah, so perfect timing. Watch A Very English Scandal and watch It's a Sin, two Russell T. Davies shows about about LGBT days of yore. And then maybe we'll have to do an episode about It's a Sin. Who knows? Maybe oh, we certainly will at some point. At some point in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Absolutely. Like use it. Use it out. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's another one that's coming out this year that I just cannot wait. Tell me. Is uh, the Anne Boleyn miniseries starring Jodie Turner-Smith. <gasps> yes. Have you seen those photos? Yes. I saw what you posted. It's... I, Give oof. me that now. I'm bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough. We have content. <laughs> <laughs> We've made some content. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. How lovely. Such gay. What a lovely gay time. I've had a gay old time with you, Kate. As always. All right. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Catherine. Bye. Bye.